Was it all a dream? No, it's the All The Anime Podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is Friday the 10th of April, 2020. And today we are focusing on the series Escaflone, as it is the third edition of our Watch Along Style discussion episode. I am Jeremy Graves, and I am joined, as per usual, by Mr. Andy Hanley. Am I a dream or am I a nightmare? I'm not sure. Which would you rather be? <laughs> I mean, I think it goes without saying I'd rather be a dream, but realistically, I am probably a nightmare. Oh, and uh, and uh, speaking of nightmares, more specifically, a nightmare that Keith is trying to resolve when it comes to something he's anticipating arriving at his doorstep at any point in time. It's Keith Copping. Hello, yes, back again. <laughs> <laughs> so we might as well give people an update, Keith. Have you got Final Fantasy VII remake yet? No, I have not. So as you can tell from that tone of voice, everybody, he's in a very good mood. <laughs> I am. A, I am a salty, salty boy. <laughs> <laughs> We might have our episode title already. There you go. Uh, salty, salty boy, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yes, everybody, welcome to the show. If you've not listened to us before, thank you very much. Thank you very much for checking us out. We are from All the Anime, otherwise known as Anime Limited. We are the UK's largest independent distributor of Japanese animation, be it on home video, digital, and when we can actually get there, the cinema. Make sure you check out our website, alltheanime.com, and if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at alltheanime. Just put in the corresponding URL, put the backslash in, then alltheanime, all one word. Quick update with regard to our Easter sale, because if you're not checking out already, there are still some offers going on. By the time you guys are hearing this, our latest offer will be live, which is a selection of staff picks, Blu-rays, for you to buy at a special price so why don't you go and check them out and also through well through close of play monday you will also still be able to order the perfect blue ultimate edition and the cowboy bebop ultimate edition set at a very special price the final offers in our easter sale will launch this sunday so make sure you check back on that and then come close of play monday whatever offers are live will then be gone so if you haven't got them by close of play monday you've missed out so, gentlemen, today, as I mentioned, we are focusing on the classic series, The Vision of Escaflone. It is something that we have released on Blu-ray. We did a wonderful Ultimate Edition set, which included the soundtracks, a, a big book. It included the series and the movie, but also included technically... Th well, hang on. I'm trying to think how many versions of the series at this point. Two versions of the series, but three dubs. So, <laughs> figure that out, everyone. Before we sort of go into the details of how many different versions there are and sort of what we're focusing on specifically, I wanted to sort of touch on our experiences with Escaflone. I know it's something that we did in the Card Captor Sakura episode and, and the Megalobox episode last week as well. But Keith, to start off with you, what is your experience when it comes to Escaflone? A bit of a strange one on this, because the first time I actually recall watching any of it, I was a student at university and it was on a... Uh, on a trip to Barcelona, we were relaxing in our hotel room during the siesta period of the day and the just skimming through the hotel TV channels and there was a local network that was playing Escaflone in, in Spanish, obviously, but I was like, oh, this is pretty. Well, you know, just going to sit here and watch it regardless. And then when I got back to the UK, I actually found out what the show was, eventually ended up watching it. And I was like, I absolutely adore this because it is a wonderful little show. And it's just classic uh, high production values, 90s animation from that kind of halcyon period where, the, where you've got some really good hand-drawn stuff when they put the money into a series. I will say, I do like the way now that for the second for the second time in three weeks, you've said back in your days as a student, I think there's going to be a pattern here for somebody's watch-alongs going forward. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I looked at my age the other day and I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm apparently getting on a bit. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, when, 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 you, when you share like a big milestone, like anniversary slash birthday with, with Mobile Suit Gundam, I can tell you that's pretty depressing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, well, Andy, talking of... Uh... I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to segue into this, Andy, so I'm just going to ask the question, what's your experience of Escaplone? Um, yeah, so, I mean, mine, my experience is, is a, a little bit weird, I guess, because when I first kind of got into anime fandom, I think my first actual introduction with Escaplone was the opening theme, which is amazing and continues to be to this day. And, like, it was one of those shows that for so, so many years, like, I had it on my kind of list of... I really need to to watch this because people keep talking about it, like it keeps cropping up in things. Uh, but all I knew was the opening theme, and so finally, like when the the our own ultimate edition came out, that was finally my opportunity to sit down and watch it and kind of see what all the fuss was about. And uh, as it turned out, yeah, it's a real good series. So uh, it was it was well worth the wait. <laughs> So my experience with Escaflone is a bit of a unique one <laughs> for a variety of reasons because this actually goes back to the days of of me first discovering it on on the Fox Kids Network on Sky TV because it aired in the evening as part of a block of a couple of shows which also included Eagle Riders which that name probably means nothing to you guys but what it was it was actually a spliced together version of Gatchaman from two different incarnations of it so it's not just a like really short version of Lord of the Rings, then. No, but hey, you know what? It might as well have been. But but so that's it was like a, an evening block at like eight or nine o'clock in the evening, and I remember seeing Escaflone. But one sort of big difference about it was that it was edited as well, so there were sort of different things, maybe different lines of dialogue and such. But another key detail, Andy, which links into something that you were just talking about, is the actual opening theme was totally different. How dare they? So it's like that wonderful song you were talking about was not at all in the show. It was sort of like, it's actually pretty good. Because I was sort of looking it up earlier just to see if I could try and find it. And I'll, I'll post a link to a YouTube video in the show notes for anyone interested. But it's just kind of like a minute long, almost instrumental thing, which has some kind of weird voice just whispering, Escaflone, periodically. And then there just being some random like choral music, like ah. It's like a monk's crept up behind you, and he's like, "Hey, hey, buddy, want to watch some anime?" <laughs> and all the footage is pr- all the footage used is pretty much from the first two episodes as well. But given I've watched them this week, it was like, "Oh yeah, that's all from like the first two episodes." So that was quite amusing in itself. But yeah, so that's how I first discovered it, and. When it come, I don't think I actually ever saw the entire series on Fox Kids because there, there was a point in time where some shows over here in the UK were had their television runs completed, but others weren't. So it's like for Eagle Riders, for example, I think there may have been like around fifty or sixty episodes created of this sort of two show pulled together into one thing. But in actuality, I think only like forty two or so got aired in the UK, and I'm not entirely sure if all of Escaflone was actually ever broadcast on TV. But then, following that, I then came came to discover the the original DVD release in the UK by Bees Entertainment, which, for those who don't know, are El Presidente Andrew Partridge actually ran Bees here in the UK. So there is a there is a link here, you might say. So I remember picking up those DVDs and watching it, and I was completely confused as to what the heck the opening song was because I'd never experienced it before. Which, in speaking to some people, and I'm sure you guys are probably wondering the same thing later on, it's like, how do you not know of this song, Jeremy? It's like, no, I didn't realise that was the actual true opening until the DVD release. (laughs) 
And it caught me so off guard, it kind of almost turned me off watching Escaflone for a while because I was really confused. <laughs> Bless your sweetheart. Yep. And then following on from that, fast forward to a couple of years ago when we were going to be releasing it. And I ended up, I mean, we all got involved to a degree, but I I took a heck of a of the brunt of the QC job for the Ultimate Edition. So I think I watched I think I watched all of the series twice or three times for the QC job for our Ultimate Edition. Because I watched I was watching the original Bandai. Well, actually, this is a good little segue. So when it comes to how many different versions of Escaflone they are, there are, just to get, add some context for everyone listening and who aren't, isn't entirely aware, the original version as it was broadcast in Japan, we'll just call it the original broadcast version for argument's sake, that is the version that was then dubbed into English and was what I saw on television. And I think, Andy and Keith, correct me if I'm wrong, that is ultimately what was released on DVD by Bees. I believe so, Yes. So then, after the fact, it turns out that I think it's seven of the first eight episodes were then slightly redone in Japan, effectively a director's cut version. I think it was episodes one through six and episode eight. There were some slight differences and such, which then meant that the English dub would not sync up properly to those first, well, to those seven of eight episodes at the beginning of the show. Meaning, effectively, it couldn't be released dubbed. But then what then happened later on was that Funimation in the USA announced they were going to be launching a, a Kickstarter campaign of Memory Serves to create a brand new dub for the director's cut version of Escaflone. But using sort of their own actors or different people, whatnot, it wouldn't be the same cast. So that was done. So there are now effectively three English-language-friendly versions you can watch of Escaflone. Well, hang on. Yeah. Three or four? I'll say four. You've got the original broadcast version in Japanese, director's cut version in Japanese. Then you've also got the original English dub TV version, and then you've now got the director's cut dubbed TV, uh, director's cut dubbed version. And all of those versions are included on our release because we included the original TV edits of the episodes as well. So, however you want to watch it on our Blu-ray release, you can actually experience the show. But when it comes to the episodes we are talking about today specifically, as we all watched it on Channel 4's All 4 service, we'll be talking about the Director's Cut dubbed version, as that is the version we experienced. Now, gentlemen, another question I wanted to ask was, when, when, we sort of, when you first saw the series in its entirety, if I phrase it that way, what language did you guys watch it in? Because obviously for me, I originally experienced it dubbed, so I've naturally always gravitated towards the original English dub. Uh, Andy, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I watched it with the uh, Japanese with, with English subtitles, as, as is my my normal mode of operation for these things. So yeah, I'm, I'm, this was my first time with with any kind of dub of, of Escaflone. And Keith, honestly, I'm not sure because it has been a little while since I last watched it, and I have this real issue where uh, I watch quite a lot of shows, and it varies whether I watch them dub or subbed, and my memory plays this weird thing where if it's been long enough, I don't actually remember if I watched it dubbed or subbed. I mean, it's all it's all English in my head, obviously, for whatever reason, but I, <laughs> in, this, in this case, I cannot remember if I originally watched it in Japanese or if I watched it dubbed. So, yeah, I have no clue. I guess technically you watched it with a Spanish dub, by the sounds of it, the first no, time. originally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, in terms of some some background now on the show itself, 
The show ran in Japan from the 2nd of April through the 24th of September in 1996. There are 26 episodes total. The creators of the show, Hajime Yatate, or Yatate, I'm not sure how actually it's pronounced. Now, that name may sound familiar to people because also creator of Cowboy Bebop, was involved in the creation of Code Geass, also is credited as being one of the creators of a, of a certain little franchise you may know called Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah, so it's, it's worth pointing out that Hajime uh, Yatate is basically like a pseudonym for creatives at sunrise um that it is not oh, an actual, it is not an actual person it is kind of a an, an amorphous collection of people who I, i'm not sure whether someone will, will doubtless like write in i'm not sure whether it's actually been confirmed kind of whether there was a specific group of people that operated under that name or whether it was just a very kind of vague like hey this is a, an original sunrise property and rather than credit it to any one person it is just this kind of uh, this pseudonym that that kind of stands in it stands in for that do you know what? I genuinely never knew that. Many just I just assumed it was a person so I had no reason to actually delve into it that's actually quite fascinating uh, well, I, th- I, th- I think with Escaflone, there was just like loads and loads of different directors on it because I think it was a case of it was on where they found out uh, episodes to different directors. So I think there were loads of people who actually uh, could claim that title for this series. Mm. Yo, next time we have Jonathan on, actually, we might uh, ask him about Hajime Yatate and sort of what he knows about it more, maybe give some more background because that's definitely something worth touching on. But another <laughs> one of the... Oh, sorry, go on. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, like, I'm not sure why that, that was always a thing for Sunrise, but yeah, looking that up quickly, it was just like a, a, a general pseudonym for, for the collective kind of Sunrise staff, so I don't think it was ever credited to any one personal group of people. But it was giving credit in some way, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much. But but in terms of who else is actually credited as a creator of Escaflone, it is Shoji Kawamori. Now, some of you, if you've been listening to the podcast in recent times, you may recognise the name because we brought up the fact that he was a mechanical designer on Gundam 0083. But in terms of some other things he's been involved with, he is the director and creator of some properties in the Macross franchise, including Macross Plus and Macross Frontier, and was also a mechanical designer on a number of other projects as well. I mentioned 0083. Also on Eureka 7, the, the, the classic Transformers animated movie that we all know and love. Outlaw Star, and more recently, Bodacious Space Pirates. Oh yeah, I forgot he did stuff on Bodacious Space Pirates. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and uh, Keith, you were mentioning directors. Uh, in terms of the overall director of the show, it was credited as mm-hmm. Kazuki Akane, who was also the director of Birdie the Mighty Decode, Knowing to Your Other Self, and more recently in 2019, the series Stars Align, for anybody interested. Music-wise, there are a couple of names credited to that as well specifically. We have Hajime Mizuguchi, who did the composition of Jinro's score, and also, if I pronounce this right, did the music for Technolize, but it's spelt with like an X and a Z, because edgy, I guess. <laughs> Gotta be edgy with your, with your futuristic cyberpunk. Exactly right. And also, another name which I'm sure many people will have heard before, Yoko Kano, who did the music for Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, various Macross projects, including Macross Plus and Frontier, Darker and Black, and Wolf's Rain, to name a few. Yoko Kano's credits are insanely awesome, but I wanted to point out a few in particular there. So already, just analysing that list of people involved, it's quite the stacked lineup, isn't it, Andy? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of uh, a little bit of a sort of super group of, of you know, anime talents there. And uh, yeah, like it's definitely one of the reasons why it, it'd been on my watch list for such a long time, because, yeah, you just look at look at some of the creatives involved and you kind of know that there's going to be something that's going to grab you there just because, you know, between Kawamori and Kano alone, it's like you've got a, got a heck of a lot of, uh, of really impressive and unique talent in there. And Keith, any thoughts from your perspective? No, not really. <laughs> Good. So, what is the show about? We've talked who was involved in it, but what is it about? Here is a synopsis for you. Hitomi Kanzaki is a typical high school girl with typical problems, but when a vision of a young man battling dragons becomes a reality, her life changes forever. Drawn into a strange vortex with the swordsman Van, Hitomi is thrust into the strange world of Gaia. Van must learn to master the suit of armor Escaflone before he and Hitomi are crushed by the ambitions of the Empire of Zybuck. Van and Hitomi will encounter both, encounter both allies and enemies in an effort to unlock the secrets within Escaflone and Hitomi's heart. Stirred by love and adventure, will at times ache and sorrow. But why was she sent to this world? Find out in a classic tale of fantasy and adventure. So as you can tell everybody, there is a lot going on already. And before we sort of get into discussing the three episodes proper, what I did want to do quickly was on our blog at blog.alltheanime.com, we actually have an interview with Shoji Karamori talking about a lot of things. And within that, there are a couple of quick questions about Escaflone. So I wanted to touch on those briefly just to get some, just to get a very tiny bit of perspective, perspective from Shoji Karamori himself. So the first question was... The original concept for the series was yours, but other people influenced the production, such as Mr. Akane, the director, and Mr. Yuki, the designer. Are you happy with how Escaflone turned out? Mr. Kawamori responded with, I was very happy. I was involved with the story composition of the anime and in a supervising position. They took my ideas very well, and Mr. Akane added, added a samurai flavor. I think it blended well. The next question. According to one source, you originally designed one of the main male characters, Alan, as a big, hunky character, but Mr. Yuki made Alan more slender, more like a character from a shoujo manga. And then Mr. Kawamori responded with, I, I cannot really remember. When I ordered the character designs, I let the, the designer create them freely. So, <laughs> there, there, there's a thought which we may get into a little bit later. Imagine the character of Alan being a, a big, hunky male, rather than what he actually is in the show. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna imagine Gaston in the role instead. <laughs> Fair play. So, episode one of Escaflone. The the way it boils down is, well, the, the the key crux of it is it ultimately ends up with a battle featuring Van having to take down a monster, and it concludes with Hitomi being whisked away to the world of Gaia. But in terms of this being a first episode specifically, Andy. Like we talked about Card Captor Sakura and the impact that had. We talked about the impact of Megalobox's first episode. How does the first episode for you of Escaflone stack up in terms of being a really good first episode? Yeah, I think it's particularly good. I mean, it, particularly in a in a in a modern context where kind of the whole isekai genre has become like the thing and, you know, um, the, 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 con the concept of being trapped in another world. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that is like such a, a commonplace thing in, in anime now. Like it is kind of the, the hot thing that everybody is kind of trying to, to, to jump off of the back of. And I think the thing that stands out to me is the, the way Escaflone goes about that. I mean, even compared to other kind of series, I mean, 
kind of preparing for our release later this year of, of Magic Knight Ray Earth. Like that is a series that starts out with like literally two minutes of like, here are your main three characters, and then bosh, they get transported to another world. And like whereas this series takes its entire first episode to let you spend some time with Hitomi in particular and kind of like get a, a decent feel for sort of what she's all about and what she's like. It gives you a bit of a glimpse into, you know, things to come um, in terms of kind of the whole transportation to another world thing. And then it kind of pivots and twists things on its head for a little bit by bringing the other world to Earth for a little while. Um, and I, it's, it's kind of it's a really interesting and it feels surprisingly kind of fresh and unique for a series of this age because it, it bucks a lot of the trends of this kind of genre. And I think everything it does is actually for the better. Like, I think it, it, the, the amount of character development it gives you before transporting you off to another world, like, is really valuable and kind of getting the other worlds to come to them for a little while is kind of interesting as well because, you know, it drags sort of other individuals around Hitomi into things for a little bit and also just kind of gives you a, a slightly different perspective on kind of what's going on and some of the characters and stuff in, in a really interesting way. So, yeah, like it's definitely a really kind of fascinating first episode that I think it is it, kind of testament that it still feels really fresh even now, you know, at a time when this genre is absolutely kind of packed with with wannabes, really. Keith, how about you? Thoughts on the first episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, going uh, going off on what Andy said there, I mean, what, I think what amused me most about the first episode was uh, it kind of feels like you're watching the uh, concluding episode to a completely different uh, anime series. It's It feels like it's a concluding episode of a high school sports slash romance drama because uh, just before uh, the fantasy world rudely barrels its way into events... Uh, it, it, it plays out uh, like the conclusion to a, a romance series where uh, Hitomi is uh, about trying to confess to this uh, lad that she likes, but uh, in her efforts to get to try and get a kiss, she has to beat her personal sports record in order to do in order to do so. And it's at this what would be a climactic uh, end of season scene and a different sort of series. Uh, it suddenly gets uh, interrupted by a great big fucking gun coming in and ruin everybody's day. Do you know what? I've never actually thought of it like that. That is a really good observation. Talk about how it feels like it's the end of one series and almost going into another. I've genuinely never thought of it like that, but that is so true, especially when you add the element of Amano, the, the boy that, that Hitomi's wanting to confess her feelings to, is planning to move away so he can like go to like a sports school in America or something. Yeah, it's all very it's all very season ending kind of feeling, isn't it? And it's like, nope, here we go. It's a time for a magical world. Buckle up, Hitomi, off you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's genuinely a, a great observation. I've never thought of it like that. The other thing I want to highlight, and I don't know why I'm surprised, given I had to do so much QC of it a few years ago, but I think I sort of just had to distance myself from Escaflone for a while, and I couldn't at the time when I was doing the QC take in everything I was watching because I was so focusing from the business point of view of making sure everything was working okay but oh, yeah. I forgot QC, you don't really uh, you don't really watch a show in the normal way because you're as you said you're paying attention to technical details to make sure things are actually working as they should so you don't really get to sit back and let uh, the, the show take you on the journey to its magical world as it were Exactly. But the actual animation quality, I forgot how damn good it is. And just the quality of it is absolutely superb, especially 
with like little things, just like how like the athletics track is looking when someone's running down it. Just little things like that. And also, the other thing as well to point out is I'm pretty sure there was still some CG used in this as well, like when the monster appears on the actual track. Well, well yeah, that's the thing, because I was I, when, the, when the dragon appears, and especially the texture of the skin, it's just... I mean, I'm not sure, were they, was, was CG being used in that capacity in 1996? And especially for the way it would, it would have to be used in this, would, would it have been sophisticated enough to give that kind of look? Or is it some kind of range workaround? Yeah, I certainly didn't notice anything that was explicitly CG. I mean, I know, I know it was kind of being used in places kind of around the periphery of series. I mean, you look at Cowboy Bebop, that definitely has some some early CG stuff in oh, yeah, there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like there's there's not really anything that stood out to me. Like, oh yeah, this is CG. Like it, it mostly felt like it was hand-drawn stuff from from what I could tell anyway. So then once we get to the end of the first episode, obviously there's been like the battle at the shrine. Van is victorious. And then Van and Hitomi are whisked away to Gaia. We get to the second episode, which starts off with what lo- with what looks like is going to be a big confrontation where Van's going to have to protect Hitomi. And turns out, no, he knows the guy. And then he just lies on the back of a, of like a, a cart to be taken home. <laughs> back to In his country. To his kingdom, yes. Exactly right. And it's during this point that we that we come to find out that Hitomi is on a- another planet, in essence, and you can see the Earth in the sky, and she's just the like... The Earth and the Moon in the sky. Exactly, and you're just wondering, what the heck is going on here? And you're gradually getting little snippets of details about things, like how, you know, it's Prince Vaughn. You, you gradually find out he is a prince. When he gets to his kingdom, apparently he w- the reason he was fighting the dragon was for a particular... It was like a particular passage or ceremony, if you will, to kind of initiate things to him become, becoming crowned king and such, which ultimately ends up with Hitomi having a, a vision of what looks like, to be blunt, some bad stuff is about to happen. And we're introduced to some other characters during this point as well. And then it ends with a big-ass battle at the end of it, which is still some of the the best animation. And one point for me that I really want to highlight, just, just while I'm on a stream of consciousness here, is that when the, the big robots in the show, the, the, the guy Melifs, they the way they first introduced them with having like having their sort of cloaked capes and stuff so you can't actually see them, it's so damn good. But when they take out the guards in the tower and then you just have like this serious music starting and you just see these footprints just being created by something invisible... The amount of tension in that is just one of the best entrances for a new concept or something in a show. I think I've seen in quite a while because I forgot how damn impactful that entrance is. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal sequence when the gates come down. Oh, it's insane. So, so Keith, episode two overall, any thoughts in particular that stand out to you or anything you noticed that maybe you've forgotten? Oh, well, it's well, it, it's a great episode. Obviously, uh, you're introduced quite early to the fact that you see the earth and the moon hanging in the sky of Gaia and very close as well and you're like well what's going on here because obviously you can't see the massive planet that Gaia must be hanging in earth sky so raises all sorts of questions about its relationship to our world uh this episode also introduces and then sadly says goodbye to one of the most awesome badass characters in anime who is Balgus the oh uh, mate we just need a spin-off of Balgus yeah I would I would love some kind of spin-off series about the early days of Balgus and his journey to becoming one of the three great uh, swordsmen of uh, Gaia because in in this in this world where uh because the Gaimalefs, which are these, uh, you know, fantasy mechs that they're 
knight slash samurai warriors use you know they're not scale wise they're not as large as gundams but they're you know they're still pretty chunky they're like four or five times the height of a person and balgus takes them on himself with a sword without having to be in his own suit he is that badass i mean that attack on the castle during this episode where uh, the people attacking are being skeevy scumbags going around in uh, cloak in literally cloaked in cloaking clothes which means they take all of the troopers by surprise because nobody can see them to actually try and take a shot at them. But he's the only one who really does, apart from Van, when he uh, finally gets into Escaflone, who actually does any tangible damage, and he does it himself. Because it's a great moment that it cuts away from where the uh, invisible Gaimaluffs have come up to the inner keep gates, and either side is... Uh, the couple of Kingdom of Finalia Gaimalefs inside, but in the middle is just Balga standing there with a sword as long as his body about to lay <laughs> down back. And then the next time you see him, because it cuts away that, is he's literally smashing through a wall on top of one of these mechs, stabbing his sword into it. It's just amazing. There are some moments in anime that sort of really stand out just to set the scene for what a character is like. That is it for Balgus. It is perfect. Yeah. He doesn't get much time overall in that series, which is a shame because he sadly gets... Uh, it's only the first three episodes. Any spoilers you're going to encounter pretty quickly. But yes, sadly, he does die at the end of the episode, which is just absolutely heartbreaking because even though he hasn't been on screen long, he's quickly established with the time on there that he's this awesome skilled fighter, but also he's been effectively Van's father figure for the last decade or so raising him and training him and yeah he's not on there long but it is quite it is quite sad because you're like this is a great guy i hope oh oh sorry say again keith you cut out there well that's pretty much it it was uh yeah he's a great character and then he's just like oh now he's gone oh yeah okay understood andy episode two any thoughts or anything in particular you noticed uh, yes, I think to echo everybody else's uh, thoughts on yeah that that shot where you get to see the Earth and the Moon is like my favorite shot, probably one of my favorite shots in this series. Like it's just a really good kind of a really good moment that that just tells you so much, and it just kind of looks really awesome as well. And I, I think it also is kind of a good direct example of what this series does well in its opening episodes, in that it's very much a series that shows, not tells. Like, I mean, as we mentioned about, you know, kind of uh, characters being, you know, royalty, things like that. Like, somebody being a prince in any other anime, it becomes, it's the kind of thing that gets announced up front. It's like, you know, how dare you? I'm a prince kind of thing. Whereas this is just, it's just a very natural, very organic, like, Hitomi has no idea until, like, you know, she actually ends up kind of travelling along and suddenly realizes, like, oh, this weird kid that's, like, dropped into my world and has now kind of effectively kidnapped me is actually, like, royalty. And, you know, a lot of the a lot of the world-building across these first three episodes is all very... all very just kind of organically done. Like, you just... It, you don't get big exposition dumps. You don't get things dropped on you. It's just, like you're just watching this unfold almost as a bystander and kind of learning everything at the same time that Hitomi does. And I think that's a really kind of strong way of developing the narrative and kind of introducing you into this world across these episodes. And, and episode two does all of that incredibly well. I think one of the advantages there is the fact, because this is a, I suppose, old school style series now of 26 episodes in length. It means they can be... Uh 
a bit more paced with how things are delivered. I mean, the show isn't the show isn't slow. It's just because it has this twenty six episode runtime. It takes the sort of like appropriate amount of time, especially as the series goes on with all the things that get revealed and all the numerous uh, revelations, uh, character trials and tribulations. It's all everything in its own time at its own pace but it never feels too slow but it feels like it's being forced down your throat either yeah yeah absolutely and, and i think that the final thing that i i mentioned like from this episode particular is i am a huge sucker for like analog mech transformations and activations etc etc like yeah stuff right? like stuff, stuff like gundam etc is really cool of just like oh yeah like pressing buttons turning levers and stuff but like mechs that are all kind of you know like cogs and very clearly kind of you know made in a kind of like you know sort of clockwork or like steampunky or, or whatever kind of vibe to them like is very much my jam and like the kind of the activation sequence of the the escaflane in, in episode two just looks so damn cool oh yeah definite shout out for that because that sequence where you see him reaching his arms into those kind of like internal sheaths and then the finger joints and this yeah it's just a really put, well put together sequence. It's probably why they use it several times because when you put that much effort in, and you want to show it off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you need you need if if you've got mechs in your show, you need a good activation sequence, and that is very definitely like top notch stuff. This almost sounds like a weird thing to say, but because it is all hand drawn, it really does add a human element to it. When you watch it, you can you can tell that this was sort of painstakingly crafted. Whereas, arguably, when you see a transformation sequence in CG, you see it happen and you don't necessarily have the same impact as you're watching it. Just because, I don't know, there's something about it, I agree, but also like just that, that violin that, that kicks in as well during the sequence just to amp up the, the tension is so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Yoko Kano's soundtrack, like, you know, it's kind of a, a bit redundant to say Yoko Kano made a good soundtrack because like that's basically <laughs> the default. But, like, this is... I feel like this in particular is... This is not a Yoko Kano soundtrack that I go away to kind of listen to standalone necessarily compared to stuff like, you know, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, Bebop, etc., etc. But it is an incredibly good soundtrack in terms of like incidental music and actually like fitting in with what's going on and kind of like enhancing or, you know, kind of giving atmosphere or emotion to what is happening on screen. And like, I think it is absolutely kind of a masterclass in, in that sense. And I think that's one of the scenes that, that underpins that. Yeah, total agree with Andy there, because as he's saying, it's not the sort of soundtrack you might put on a bit of easy listening, because all of it is about building stuff up, but it does have some just phenomenal, phenomenal kind of background, duh, just sort of like ominous build-ups and great tension builders. It's the kind of things that when you hear them really send a tingle down your spine. It's, it's, one, of, it's one of my favourite atmospheric soundtracks, hands down, this one. So moving on to episode three then, Andy, I'll start with you this time. Anything in particular that stands out for you in episode three or anything in particular you want to touch on? Um, weirdly, there kind of isn't so much for episode three. Like, it's it's a good, solid episode, um, but it kind of... Uh, it, it's one of those shows where, like, I think the first two episodes are just kind of so stellar. Like, by episode three, it's just kind of into the groove of just like, oh, you know, I'm just on board with, with what's happening here. Obviously, you kind of get a, a bit more of a an introduction to to sort of a, a big bad of the series um who is just like 
fantastic kind of like anime villain. It's just like ticking all of the the right boxes on your this 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 person is is not a good person kind of bingo card. Um, and so all all of that is is really solid. And again, it just kind of continues with the the good sort of world building and story building um as it goes along so yeah this for me is just very much a kind of solid just like okay you've you've sold me on all the main concepts of this series in episodes one and two this is very much a kind of like laying down the groundwork of like what the the broader strokes of the series are going to have to to take in and, and kind of involve themselves in yeah with episode three what i what i really like is the different elements that it weaves in because when it comes to say like being at an event or something, or if someone asks me, you know, oh, what's a what's a show you know you re- you'd recommend, and you sort of inevitably ask, well, what kind of other stuff do you like? And depending on the answer, when I, when I recommend Escaflone to someone, I I tend to describe it as think Game of Thrones but with mech involved. And the reason I say that is because there is a lot of sort of political juggling that has to go on here, and I think that is emphasised in particular in the early going in episode three. Because when you get Dylan Dow or Dylan Dow, I'm going to say this now, everybody. This is something we're probably going to touch on. This the, the new the Funimation dub, if I just call it that. Th- there are some character names that are pronounced differently, and because I'm so used to the original Bandai dub, I'm probably still just going to refer to them by their Bandai names just by default because of how my brain works. So if anyone gets annoyed by that, apologies in advance. But when Dylan Dow and Co are going to see Alan in, in the castle and such. And you're already getting a little bit of that political gaming, implying, oh, you've got a reputation. And then when Delandau sees Hitomi, it's like, oh, I've never seen your clothes before. Where are you from? And then it's almost like that moment of, oh, crap. Is like, is this person who looks like they're going to be a right, right bastard throughout the series going to like get them in the early going? And then Alan just comes up and saves the day in a way that, that basically just meets the expectation of what everyone already thinks he is, a bit of a playboy. And there's so many, just so many little elements in there. And the way that, you know, Van is having to come to grips with the fact that he's lost his kingdom. He's a king of nothing, basically. He doesn't know where the heck in the world he is because he got whisked away after the battle of of Finalia falling. And now he's just sort of lost. And he's in essence captured, but he's sort of like an honoured guest of Alan because... Escaflone's locked away in like a big cellar downstairs or something, and he's having to try to come to terms with this. And then there's Hitomi trying to sort of extend the olive branch of, hey, you know, don't worry, it's not all bad. <laughs> when in the grand scheme of things, it really freaking is. It's like, Hitomi, some... I'm having a shocker, really. Come on. Exactly. And you get these little wonderful character interactions that start to sow, sow the seeds of who's going to get on with who, who maybe are going to be constantly butting heads with each other you of course get introduced to all of alan's crew of of bandits i'll just say his his rogues that's the best way to put it his knights his rogues with hearts of gold (laughs) there you go who are a wonderful wonderful cast of characters you'll come to love during the series but there's all these wonderful little elements and in talking about the pacing of the episode as well andy because you said you are sort of alluding to the fact that the first two ep- the first two episodes really throw you in there, and by the end of the first episode, you sort of got a bit of a heart. You know, your heart's racing a little bit because you're like, "That was mental. What the heck's going to happen next?" Then you it ups the ante with episode two, but in episode three, in essence, has like, dials it down but does it in a really good way to keep you interested. And you were talking about not just giving you info dumps on stuff, but they keep giving you information organically, like you highlighted, to the point where you're just taking it in naturally. It feels completely 
you're just taking you're taking it naturally. It feels completely normal, and in the context of everything, you're just going with the flow, almost like a fly on the wall, and it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's exactly it, and uh, yeah, it is very effective in that regard. So, Keith, episode three. Anything in particular you want to highlight? Yeah, because I, I really enjoyed episode three. Because I mean, like uh, like like Andy was saying, it's. Uh, I mean, it's not quite as action-packed as the first two episodes, but then a lot has happened in the first two. And the, the third episode is a sort of kind of take, taking a quiet breath just to calm you down before it launches you further into the chaos of the rest of the show. Because it's, it's in that third episode, uh, they start dropping some interesting stuff about the greater world and situation as a whole. And they, they introduce this uh, triumvirate of villainy of the uh, country of Zybuck, which uh, in... Order of Seniority, uh, Emperor Dornkirk, Lord Falcon, and then Dylan Dow, who uh, is a very, very bad man. (laughs) (laughs) You're being generous with that statement. (laughs) Yeah, who doesn't want to be good in his heart at all. But yes, this uh, triumvirate of villainy, and it's quite interesting because the the kingdom of uh, Zybuck gets kind of more properly introduced here, and Whereas the kingdoms we'd encountered so far, you know, Van's Kingdom of Phenalia and then the outskirts of the kingdom of, oh, what is Alan's kingdom? Part of Osteria? That's it. Yeah, yeah Osteria. You get, you get the impression that these, these are kind of feudal, feudal knight slash samurai style kingdoms that kind of have like a steampunk level of tech. And then you get these glimpses of the uh, forces and especially the floating fortress and then a quick... Uh, you get some quick shots, I think, of the seat of the Zybark Empire in this episode as well, and it's like, uh, in this is a uh, this is a feudal society that instead of being kind of with steampunk tech, appear to have kind of like steam cyberpunk tech. They seem to be in the kind of order of technological achievement higher than anyone else, and it's like this mm. is this is quite an interesting dynamic going on here. And then the, the few bits of conversation that you get between. Uh, Falcon and Dornkirk um, introduces some interesting tidbits that uh, tie into uh, several established uh, Earth theories about lost civilizations, which I won't go into details on that. But they, they drop in a they drop in a name where you're just like, oh, okay, this is interesting. It looks like uh, Earth and Gaia could be very, very much interlinked in ways that we are not sure of. And it just sets up all these things ready to be developed in the rest of the show. So while not as full of action as those first two episodes, from a kind of development point and teasing you with foreknowledge point, it's a very, very good episode. And I enjoyed it immensely for that because, you know, I enjoyed the first episodes because they're great. But then suddenly this glimpse of the wider world and you're just like, I want to know more because I, as much as I'm a whore for action, I do love some decently... uh, plotted out uh, political shenanigans and uh, power groups, you know, were sidling around each other to gain advantage and pull one over on the on their opposition. So it, it just shows that it's a show that has a lot more depth than you might have been initially expecting from the, uh, for, from the setup from the earlier episodes. Mm. And yeah, and with everyone, that is the first three episodes of Escaflone that we have discussed. And as mentioned, you can watch the entire series right now on Channel 4's All 4 service. I won't lie, I'll probably be watching a bit more of it this weekend because I'm really up for watching more of it now. Or yeah, of course, I confessed I watched through to episode 5. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> but of course, you could also purchase the entire series on Blu-ray and DVD right now from our AllTheAnime.com shop. 
And another random detail I wanted to share with you guys, because I think it... This is a show which, it's a great example of how you sort of have an expectation when we're watching it of this looks and is incredible. This must have done gangbusters in Japan. In doing some reading about this, apparently Escaflone was not as popular in Japan as producers, producers had hoped, but outside of Japan, it is considered a worldwide hit. Yeah, it very much follows the Cowboy Bebop model there, I guess, where, you know, it basically, you know, got canned on Japanese TV once in Bebop's case, because, yeah, it never really took off in the same way as it did in the West. And I think when you look at it, that kind of makes sense. Like, there is, I mean, you know, you, you've referenced kind of Game of Thrones in, in the course of this discussion. There is a kind of Western fantasy element to it that maybe didn't play quite so well with Japanese audiences, I guess. Hmm. And the other interesting detail as well is that apparently the success of the success of Escaflone as a worldwide property is what led to the eventual film being produced, just Escaflone the movie, which is the the alternate retelling of the story. Mm, yeah, because yeah, I, I remember that. You know, like when was that? Like two thousand or something? Like that was definitely had a big push in kind of Western fandom at that time. So yeah, it was clearly, I mean, much like the sort of things like Trigun Badlands Rumble, which was another case where, you know, Western success led to a, a follow-on film. Um, it was it was clearly, you know, they, it was with an eye to the Western market in, a, in an interesting way. So there you go, folks. That is the discussion on Escaflone concluded, but we're not done yet because, of course, we need to continue our now weekly battle between oh, Andy and Keith. <laughs> so I'm going to confess guys I've made a lot of questions but I do feel I've been quite gentle with you guys over the past couple of weeks so there are going to be some questions which perhaps require some minute detail involved oh god <laughs> so uh, as is the case last week we'll do it whereby you guys need to basically answer the question but have the answer in your brain before the first person answers and we'll switch it up for rounds one and two as to so who answers first? And in the third round, whoever is in the lead can either elect to go first or defer. So, uh, Andy, I'm going to let you decide to begin with for the episode one episode. Would you like to go first or second? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to be terrible at this one, I feel like, because I didn't make many notes, but so I will go first. <laughs> I was going to say second, but there you go. So he's, right. he's grabbing destiny by the horn. Yeah, I just want to want to get. I just want to get this, get this done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're having such a good time here. So, episode one. What is Hitomi late for at the start of the episode? Um, I can't remember this. A race or just training? I mean, it's just like running training. Yeah, I'll accept that. Keith, athletics training. Correct. What is written on the back of Hitomi's tracksuit? Oh, it is... Uh, it's Kamakita, with like a star between the two syllables. Keith? Do not remember at all. Andy is correct. Yay. I think I figured out the way to answer it now. Rather than saying if you're correct or not, I'll get you both to do it. So then that, that's the way it doesn't work now. Yeah, that makes more sense. So... What was Amano's time when running the time trial? I wasn't joking when I said I was going to ask for minute details. I can't remember exactly. I, I think it was like under 11 seconds. Keith? I think it was under 10 seconds. It was something stupid like 9.56 seconds. The answer was 10.64. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> so I'm going to say you both got that wrong because you did both get it wrong because I asked for the time. So... Yep, fair. 
Question four. This is a bit of a long one, but bear with me. When Hitomi has her vision during the time trial, she sees multiple things occur, mostly destruction and fighting. During those multiple visions, she sees what we later learn are called Gaimelifs, the big robots. How many Gaimelifs does she see total across this entire sequence? God, you're really upping your dick game for this one, Joe. <laughs> Happy Easter, mate. <laughs> I mean, the, the the only note that I made about this part of the episode is that she runs so fast she is her guys. Um, so I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> so that, I didn't... That's the name that, of the episode. That, that is a great that is a great tagline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I'm going to guess four. Keith, I'm going to go with five. The correct answer is seven. She sees five walking at the start, and then there are two more battling in a different sequence. One of which is Escaflone. So, question five. In the nurse's office, after Hitomi has woken up following her passing out, and Amano notices her necklace. And we're talked about the whole fact that when you hold the necklace up, it swings. It takes like a second to complete one cycle like a pendulum. How many swings are completed when Amano is holding it before Amano interrupts Hitomi to try and deliver some bad news? Is it five? Keith? I think they counted out to 16, didn't they? Gotta go with 16. Keith is correct. <laughs> yes. Because uh, Amano stops her on um <laughs> Amano stops her on se- on 17. Like, as she is saying 17, she stops it. Or he stops it rather. Next question. When Hitomi is doing a tarot card reading regarding her and Amano's fate later in the evening in her bedroom, she indicates that the tower card represents what? She uses a specific phrase as to what a tower card represents. What does she say? No idea whatsoever. Keith? Separation. Distant separation, but I will give you that. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Question seven. What is the name of the beast that emerges shortly after Van appears on the running track during Hitomi's first kiss time trial challenge? I like the fact you've given that a title. Yep. <laughs> I, I just have it as a, as a land dragon. Keith? Land a dragon. Correct, both of you. Final question for episode one. When the fight between Van and the land dragon continues at the shrine, what does Hitomi have a vision of happening to Van? Uh, of him getting stabbed by the dragon or something to that, to that, along those lines. Keith? She has a vision of him getting uh, stabbed through his entire torso, through the back, by the dragon's tail. Kind of like a scorpion, almost. Correct for both of you. So, questions for episode two. Keith, you will now be answering first. Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Question one. What is Earth known as on Gaia? Oh, God. I think it's the Mystic Moon. Andy? Uh, No idea. It is the Mystic Moon. See, I always just assumed that was the moon that they were talking about. No, they do, they do constantly refer to it as her being from the Mystic Moon. Okay. As opposed to the moon of the Mystic Moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keith, man. What the heck? Uh, question two. Van is part of the, of the royal bloodline of what place? Finalia. Andy? Pass. It is Finalia. Question three. 
we saw the we saw Van battling the dragon in episode one. There was a particular reason for this, and upon his return home on Gaia in episode two, he announces to Balgus and Co. he had completed what and returned with what. Uh, you completed the trial of dragon slaying, and he with dragon energist. Andy, uh, you completed the rite of dragon slaying, and I can't remember the other bit. Keith, you got two points. Andy, you got one. Just, I'm giving you... That's how I'm divvying it up. I'm adding more points into questions now because that's how I feel. Question four. What does Merle take from Hitomi? I, I love the fact that we uh, have just not... Didn't bring up Merle once during the entire <laughs> discussion about the episode. Oh, by the way, everyone, there's a cat girl. There's a cat girl who's got a thing for Van. Yeah, you're right, actually. I don't know why we didn't bring her up, but there you go. <laughs> Probably because I know she's a very divisive character. Some people absolutely love her because people like cat girls, and some people hate her because they regard her as really goddamn annoying. I mean, in the original dub, her voice is kind of scratchy. It's kind of like, Lord Vaughn! And she says it constantly. Whereas in this new dub, it's a lot more manageable to the eardrums. Yeah, anyway, to get back to your question, she steals Hitomi's pen. Andy? Uh, yeah, she still is a pendant. Correct. So, when when the guards think they see a mirage, which turn out to be the invisible guy Melefs outside the castle walls, how many Melefs are there? Five. Andy? Five. Incorrect, there were four. Okay. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Are you sure? They are invisible. I did have to pause the screen numerous <laughs> times. <laughs> I had to pause the screen numerous times to try and make sure. Maybe the fifth one's just really good. <laughs> what, of being invisible? Yes. <laughs> he didn't break cover once. <laughs> Question six. What does Van drip into the drag energist before he awakens Escaflone? His own blood. Andy? Yep, some good old-fashioned blood. <laughs> and final question on episode two. What weapon does Balkus have to fight off Melefs with? A great big fuck-off sword. <laughs> Andy? Yes, an, an oversized sword. <laughs> I approve more of the, of the the terminology that Andy said, but Keith's terminology was fine. <laughs> <laughs> question, th- well, I say question three, episode three. So let me do a quick tot-up of how well we're doing here. Uh, Keith, you are, you are in the lead. Would you like to go first or second? I will go first. Okay, then. Episode three, here we come. Question one. When Hitomi is accosted by the Mole Man in the forest, who is it that comes to her aid, and how do they ultimately take out the perpetrator? Uh, it's Alan Shazar who comes to her aid, and I, I think he just punches the poor Mole Man. Andy? Uh, yeah, it is Alan, and yeah, I can't remember what he did. He delivers an uppercut. So uh, one point for each of you, Question two. Who does Alan remind Hitomi of before she passes out in the forest? Oh, her high school crush, Amano. Andy? The uh, knight in shining gym shorts, Amano. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best lines. It is an amazing line. Oh, yes, actually, that's actually from the show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is actually. Yeah, it's not, not just my personal predilection. <laughs> So, question three. On the Zybok floating fortress leaving Finalia, we're introduced to Delandau and Lord Falcon. They end up having a video conference with who? Well, as mentioned in my uh, episode uh, summary, uh, Lord Dornkirk. 
Andy? I didn't know. So, Keith. Yes. This is the point where I can be a real dick now. Oh, he's not Lord, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> so because of that, I'm making that a wrong answer. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you are in the lead, so, you know. <laughs> Question four. Yeah, but it's, but it's not enough to be just in the lead. You have to crush the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> Question That's what Dylan four. Dow would do. <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of the technology Dornkirk uses to predict the future? Oh, God, it's some overly verbose thing. It's, yep. yeah, it's, I, I need the, I need the it, exact name. I'm just going to go with future prognosticator, because that's all I remember. Andy? I don't know. Google. <laughs> <laughs> it is the, the Destiny Prognostication Engine. Oh. Maybe I'm being too hard on this quiz. I might have to rethink next week. <laughs> Question five. How did Alan say that he found out that Fenalia had been burnt to the ground. He'd heard tales of it off some uh, Osteria merchants who had been on their way, presumably to trade in Fenalia, and then were greeted with a scene of destruction. <laughs> Andy? Uh, yeah, he'd heard it from some merchants. Correct, both of you. Next question. During the business meeting, as I'm calling it, between Delandau and Alan, the subject of where Hitomi's from comes into conversation because of her strange outfit. Where does Alan say he met her before then kissing her on the cheek? Uh, from a country far in the east. Andy? I can't remember. Keith, you are correct. Couple more questions left, guys. Three to be exact. What was Hitomi doing when she had a vision of the attack in the castle by Delandau? Oh, I think she she was uh, watching the duel between uh, Alan and Van. Andy? Uh, yeah, it was uh, during the duel. So this is where I probably could have phrased things better, because originally she has the vision during the tarot card reading. All oh, right, okay. When it's like just her and Van and she's trying to cheer Van up and he's just like, I've had a really bad day. Oh, yeah, she has a quick glimpse, doesn't she? Because she starts, yeah, because yeah, he like uh, wakes her up because she's kind of zones out. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you your pedantry on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I was going to give you guys a, both a point, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Question eight. What is the connection that Van and Alan have between them? If it's any help, this is referenced during the armour battle. Uh, well, I, I could say that they both obviously have some of the most stylish hair in the entire kingdom, but I think it's because they were both trained by Balgus. Andy? Uh, they both share a Netflix account. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell how into this you are, Andy. Uh, they are. They were both trained by Balgus. Now, guys, I, I'm not going to lie. I did make a tiebreaker question, but I don't think I need it. Uh, I think so, I might crush this one. Yeah. <laughs> but for the purposes of completion, would you like the tiebreaker question? Yeah, go on. I'm curious to see what evil you had lined up. <laughs> what pet does Alan have? Merle. <laughs> Andy? Uh, no idea. It was an owl. Oh, God, I was thinking of Van for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I hadn't actually twigged that that was his. Like, I made a note about owls, but not that it... I just thought it was like Futurama. Maybe, uh, the, maybe the world of Gaia has a real owl infestation problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there you go, folks. That wraps up this week. Keith is the winner of the quiz. 
I will I will take that win with me to warm the cold cockles of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, guys, any other random thoughts about Escaflone before we close out? Anything maybe that that quiz has just made you remember, or any particular quotes, or anything specifically? Any additional thoughts at all, Andy? Um, no, not really. I, I will say, like having talked about how good the opening theme is, like the the ending theme is also a bop. So uh, that is uh, good music all around in this show, which is is good because our ultimate edition had the soundtrack with it, so much much deserved. Yeah, the the the, the end music is indeed a bop, but it is very tonally different. From everything else, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's a very anime ending theme of just, yeah. yeah. You know, you compare it to the sort of grandiose overtones of the opening, and it's just like, I don't know, you just want to, you know, have, have a good time now. Yeah, get this pop song with all the pretty lads uh, hanging out with Hitomi. <laughs> having a good time. Yeah, I think the song's called Mystic Eyes. I remember when I first saw that, and I was like, what the heck is this ending? <laughs> just like you say, it's so tonally different. But, uh, but yeah, I suppose the only, only other thing I will say is to talk about this English dub specifically that we were listening to, the actual Funimation dub, I thought overall it is really, really solid and it does the show a great service. It is a great addition to, to the lineage of Escaflone in, in English. Keith? Yeah, it is a solid dub, but I have no complaints with it whatsoever. I mean, I'm, I, I do adore the show anyway, but uh, it, yeah, it's good. It's good. And as with the other shows that we have... Uh, watch the first few episodes of over the last couple of weeks take it in on all four because we know you're indoors you've got the time <laughs> get it in your eye holes <laughs> andy uh yes yeah i mean it was it is a really strong dub like you know as mentioned my preference is, is usually subtitled so i was kind of curious as to, to how it'd come down on it but yeah like it, it has a real kind of life and energy to it and i think all the characters are, are put across and kind of acted well in their respective roles so yeah it, it fits really well it's, it's definitely a very strong dub and with that being said everybody that concludes this episode of the podcast hope you guys have enjoyed it and of course hope you guys have a good weekend if you want to check out past episodes of the podcast you can find our feeds on spotify stitcher soundcloud also on apple podcasts as well and also if you head over to blog.alltheanime.com you can find one of the recent podcast posts there if you click on the category of podcast you can find all the details regarding our past episodes as well the podcast i i think we're doing one on monday andy aren't we or are uh, we taking I mean, Easter Monday off? We should probably take Monday off because we are technically off on Monday. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll take a breather and we'll come back next Wednesday. Cool. So we'll be back on Wednesday next week, folks. We'll no doubt be talking about some more of the spring season stuff we've been watching. And also, if you've got any questions that you want to throw at us for the, for the questions portion of the show, if you will, we will get to some more questions as well. If you're on Twitter, just tag us in a tweet and use the hashtag AskAllTheAnime so that we know it's for the podcast specifically. If you're on Facebook, feel free to respond to the in the comments section to this podcast post in particular. And if you're on Instagram, feel free to respond in general and just put Ask All The Anime and we'll make sure that we catch those on there as well. And of course, you can also respond in the comments section to this particular podcast at blog.alltheanime.com. Make sure you check out the alltheanime.com Easter sale if you have not already. Some great bargains going on there. So if you need something to keep you going during this time period, folks, as well as listening to us and watching some other anime with us, we're more than happy to help you on that front. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from Keith Copping and Andy Hanley, we've been Team All The Anime signing out. Have a good Easter, everybody. Bye. Bye. And happy Easter. Yeah, that too.